0: Here on the Appalachian Homestead, we're surrounded by ancient mountains. And if you listen carefully, you can still hear the ancestral wisdom echoing through their peaks and valleys. You can find the Appalachian Homestead on their website at appalachianhomestead.org. On Instagram, at the Appalachian Homestead. On YouTube, in the search bar, type the at symbol, the Appalachian Homestead. Welcome to the Appalachian Homestead podcast. If you're new here, we live in our house. We don't record in the studio, so you may often hear things that you don't typically hear in other podcasts. And that's because we have puppy dogs. We have kids. Our house is old, and sometimes it just makes noises. That's life. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with our friend Allison, who is an herbalist and pharmacist based in North Carolina, She and I are going to talk about what herbs are and what they are not, and why sometimes it is absolutely essential that Western medicine be employed in the treatment of certain illnesses.
1: And this is our friend Allison, who is a pharmacist and herbalist.
0: I'm a generational
1: herbalist, and she is a trained clinical herbalist, I guess is what we'll say. Right, Allison?
2: Yes, I've spent a lot of my career studying herbs, and then as well, I've had the chance to study under uh, herbalists as well.
1: All right, let's get into it. So, Allison and I have been talking about the limits of herbs because we understand I've generational and her is clinically trained that our My grandmother was very, or my great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother was very glad when antibiotics came into existence and became available, widely available, because they stopped losing family members to very treatable illnesses. Herbs just can't always treat these things.
2: That is correct. Herbs have their limits, Um, and so when antibiotics came into play, it created another tool in the tool belt that allowed people to treat disease states that were untreatable previously.
1: Uh, So when I think back to the stories in our family, you know, my grandmother's grandmother or maybe it was her great-grandmother. She was an herbalist during the pandemic flu of 1918 through, what, 21 is around about in that era. And she credited herbs for preventing her from contracting that flu. But that flu was a virus. A lot of times viruses can be helped along with, herbs, whereas sometimes and most of the time even bacterial diseases cannot. Is that an adequate statement, you think?
2: I would say so, yes. Um, I also have had a chance to speak with a particular family um, in the Piedmont of North Carolina who also attributed their family not losing anyone to that flu to certain herbs that they grew. Um and when it comes to bacteria, bacteria is is a whole nother ball game um and a lot of the second a lot of times people would pass away due to second- secondary bacterial infections, not even the primary infection of the virus itself um, so bacteria right. is hmm so they were getting the, the flu virus
1: and then they were developing a bacterial pneumonia most yes. of the time. Yes.
2: yes. Yes. And bacteria have life cycles um, that sometimes our bodies can go ahead and fight, but many times their life cycles are strong and they use a lot of what we produce in our bodies to continue to grow. Um, And so antibiotics do allow us a way to fight these life cycles of the bacteria.
1: Right. There are two particular infections that I don't mess with. I will not even tell somebody what would be good to use herbally until they have seen a doctor and got a, um, antibiotic, and those are strep and UTI. I absolutely will not even begin to discuss them with someone until they have an antibiotic on board.
2: Yes, strep is a very da- can be a very dangerous um, bacteria, especially when it goes untreated and UTI as well um as you and I have seen in our career both of those take the turn for the worse in um patients absolutely so i almost lost a
1: an infant niece to urosepsis she was a newborn there was no way that we could have possibly known that she had a uti you know she wasn't able to say hey it burns when I pee, or I'm having bladder pain or kidney pain or anything like that. So she developed sepsis and meningitis as a progression of that UTI. We spent 21 days on antibiotics that were very potent antibiotics that could even damage your hearing. Mm. Um, was it was it a I'm trying to remember which. One. It was a mycin for sure. It was a mycin, yeah. Um, Thankfully, she had no problems. She's seven years old now, has no deficits whatsoever. But we would never have considered to treat that with herbs. And to go a step further with that, my grandmother actually died of urosepsis because in the elderly, perhaps you did have the symptoms and you went to the doctor and you started the antibiotic but you didn't go back for your recheck. Right. And then you get a rebound because you didn't completely clear that infection. And she ultimately passed away from it because she developed urocepsis, had a seizure, aspirated, developed pneumonia, and it just cascaded downhill from there. Now, strep is another one. And, you know, you were talking about strep. Um, Scarlet fever is, everybody knows of scarlet fever, but nobody seems to know what scarlet fever is.
2: Right, and that's a strep infection it is it is a strep infection that um when the strep can break away from its primary location and it travels throughout the body um then you can go ahead and you can get um scarlet fever. It's the breakdown of the what the bacteria um Sends out into our body, and then we also have to worry about it attaching to the heart as well. Absolutely.
1: So that was, so scarlet fever turns into um, is it myocarditis, endocarditis? It turns into one of the... Endocarditis. Yeah, endocarditis, yep. It turns into one, and it can cause you to go into heart failure. And not only that, but once you develop sepsis and I mean, honestly, scarlet scarlet fever is called scarlet fever because of the rash, because of the breakdown, and it causes the rash. But by the time you have scarlet fever, it's because it's in your bloodstream, right? And you have developed sepsis. Correct. So once you develop sepsis, it's not only going to affect your heart, though. Sepsis will kill your kidneys very, very quickly, and you'll be in multi-system organ failure in no time flat.
2: Yeah, and it can attack your joints and get really high fevers. Um, So basically, the bacteria, once it is throughout your body, um, you can no longer just treat it as easily as you could have before, Um, and it's a very serious condition. Now, are there any that you
1: know of? Well, first, let's back up a second. Sometimes people can be lucky, and they might catch a strep infection or a UTI very, very early. And they may, because sometimes your body is strong enough that those infections could, not usually are, but could be self-limiting. Sometimes you can catch it early, and sometimes your body is strong, and sometimes an herb can possibly work,
2: but that's right. not the rule. Right, and and that is a hundred percent correct. Um, and a lot of times, that person may also have a very good immune system. Um, they to, may just have um, a not very serious infection. Um, It could be that the herb was able to treat it um, but also people can become carriers as well um, of strep uh, even if they didn't have uh, even if they cleared it Um, and to your point it is not the rule. It's more the exception and Unfortunately, I think that antibiotics have gotten a very bad rap because we, you know, we had a good tool, we used it, people began to use it for everything. We forgot that sometimes we have what you and I have already discussed, viruses or, um, you know, we want to watch a little bit longer to see if it is a bacteria infection. Um, And we have overtreated and with the overtreated uh, communications that are out in the newspapers and online, people are now afraid of antibiotics in general because they're not thought of as being quote unquote natural um, and that people are worried about um, antibiotic resistance and not letting your body do the fighting and so here we are with what you and I are discussing today about it is okay to treat, and these are the two things that we think are important to think about if you did have them in your family to treat. Um, so UTIs and and strep.
1: Yeah, and there are other ones, but these are like the two primary ones that we see most often go untreated, and often with very very bad outcomes, whether that is a person who ends up with severe um, heart damage, kidney damage, or sometimes people die. And it is beyond anything that I can imagine. I can't even wrap my mind around it to think that I or someone that I love might die of one of the most treatable illnesses that we have in this world today, and that that would be strep or UTI. You know, sometimes if you don't do the follow-up and get a re-swab and find out that you have completely cleared this infection or, you know, have another urine dip death and find out you completely cleared this infection, you can have rebounds, and yes, those can be very bad. But 90% of the time or more, A 10 or 14 day round of antibiotic will completely clear these. And there's no reason that anybody today with a normal immune system should die of these. It's just unthinkable. Right. And you're right. You know, people are afraid of Western medicine and they've heard all of these news reports and all these studies about overprescribing. And I completely agree. Overprescribing is a problem. Overprescribing is a problem. They hand out Z-packs like they're bubblegum packs.
2: Yep.
1: But sometimes they're needed and you have to know. And you shouldn't assume that you know more than the doctor. Sometimes you do.
2: Sometimes you do.
1: But you shouldn't just assume that. If the doctor has done a laboratory test and says you are positive for strep. And you know that in your throat, you have a red and plain throat and you have uh, pustules on your tonsils. You know that that's strep. That's probably why you went to the doctor was to confirm that it was what you thought it was. Or if no. you're having a burning urination and you're having pain in your bladder and your kidney, you went because of that and you already know in your mind that you have a UTI. So when they confirm that and they say, here's the medicine, why why are we then saying, I don't want it?
2: I think it's because people are so afraid and this comes, you know, I, I don't want to blame anybody because herbs are such a beautiful thing. And, you know, there's this re- rebirth of learning um, the natural and being close to the natural. But I'm so afraid that in some of the languages that are being spoken across social media and um, in writings that people are also being told if you do anything that's not natural, then that is damaging to you as well. And I believe that's a very dangerous stance to take um, a book that I read called "Dirt to Soil," and th- this is, you know, just talking about dirt. His name's Gabe Brown, and he was thought he's thought to be one of the forefathers of uh, regenerative agriculture. But basically, he doesn't say that his farm is organic, and that is because once every seven or so years, he might have to use a pesticide on a weed that comes you know in and um, but then he can go back to his regenerative agriculture Um, and I look at that book a lot and think about it and I think about it in the same with health we can be very natural and choose to be healthy and take our herbs but every once in a while we might just need that antibiotic during times like this and that doesn't make us any less natural. It's using something in a tool belt. And I really hope that people can stop being afraid and know when to use it.
1: Absolutely. And coming off of what you said, two things. First thing is um, we hear people say online all the time, there is an herb for every ailment. And absolutely that is true. God gave us an herb for literally every ailment that exists, but he also gave us wisdom and knowledge and advancing knowledge that led us to some of the more advanced medicines that we have today that can completely eradicate some of these illnesses. So like an antibiotic for strep or for UTI. The other thing is what you said about the soil, you know, once every seven years. Absolutely. Every now and again, an antibiotic might be necessary. And we know that overuse of antibiotics is a big deal. It can create resistance. You can develop C. diff. It can destroy the gut. If you're taking an antibiotic, you know, 10 days every month. But if you're taking an antibiotic 10 days once a year or 10 days once every three to five years, it's not going to do that. Right. Your body will rebound. Right. Will the gut get off balance during that 10 days and for a couple weeks after?
2: Sure. Right? Yep. But that's why you have your herbs and your foods and your ferments and everything that will quickly bring it back into balance.
1: Right, so that brings up an interesting question, and this is one that I don't know the answer to, and you're a scientist, so you probably do. Um, If you eat ferments during the course of time when you would have to take an antibiotic, say you have strep and you need to take it for 10 days. If you eat ferments during that time, will that help prevent the gut imbalances from occurring, or will the antibiotic just kill that out too?
2: I've heard this go back and forth um, because people say, well, you eat the good bacteria and then you take the antibiotics and then it's gone anyways. Um, I think it, to me it has everything to do with continuing it because bacteria, um, they reproduce so very quickly. Um, So if you are having your good ferments, Even if some of them were to be wiped out, you still are going to have a better chance of having good bacteria um, reproduce and and take hold over, like, C. diff or something like that. So, the jury's still out, but I, I believe in it. In fact, I, you know, as a pharmacist, there's not always I can say, well, go take your ferments. Not everyone understands that language, but I do um, offer probiotics often, and I have them separate the times that they take it. Right. So for we
1: have always practiced that. Um, If, say, I have a UTI or strep or some other illness that requires that I use an antibiotic, I would take the antibiotic. And then in about three hours, I would eat a ferment and... I would take course of action to add probiotics back into my system to follow that antibiotic. And I would do that, like cycle it, antibiotic three hours, do the ferment, another antibiotic three hours, do a probiotic to to try to help myself along in the process of recovering once the antibiotic has done its job.
2: Yeah, I think that's great practice.
1: Now, do you think that everybody should be doing probiotics and and ferments all the time year-round? I personally do. I I don't do a probiotic capsule, but I eat ferments at least twice every single day.
2: I think that is the best practice ever. Um, I actually do need to get a little bit better. I don't do it as often as you. I'm just a couple times a week, but um, that is one of my goals. I love ferments. Everything that I read, every herbalist that I've studied under every anything that's coming out, it's all about the gut um so yes, now there are people with stomach issues, et cetera, you know, and there's always going to be an exception. you might not be able to do ferments, it might upset, but there's things you can do so um and that could be you have a really good probiotic, so yes, I agree with you.
1: Yeah. So another thing and and you spoke about, you know, everything's coming back to the gut these days and we're talking about the gut more than we ever have. If you start out with a really healthy gut and you need to take an antibiotic, you're starting off better and gonna finish better than you would if you weren't starting off with that healthy gut to begin with. So if you stay if you're if people are as natural as they're claiming to be and they're keeping antibiotics away from them most of the time unless they're absolutely needed and they're eating their ferments, eating probiotics, eating yogurt with live cultures and all these other things, taking a probiotic capsule, postbiotics and prebiotics and all the biotics. If they're doing all that to begin with and then they get strep throat and need an antibiotic, it's very unlikely that that antibiotic is going to do very much harm to their gut.
2: Right. Um, and I would say that what I've seen with kids not being treated for strep versus a course of an antibiotic, I would go with a course of an antibiotic any day. It's and incredible. absolutely.
1: And there are things that we can add to the antibiotic. So let's talk about that. Does it hurt to add an herb to an antibiotic?
2: Sometimes. Depends it does. on the herb. Yep. Yeah. It depends on the herb, um, but if we're talking, like, let's just say sore throat, so if we're just talking, like, a ginger, honey, um, tea, that would be okay.
1: Or, you know, salt water is my go-to for sore throat. Or sometimes I'll do a sumac, make sumac aid and gargle in
2: it because it's very astringent. Right. That would be okay with that, especially the antibiotics that would treat strep throat. That would be totally fine. Right.
1: Now, can you think of, sage is another go-to for for sore throat. Is sage okay? Sage is fine, too. And then the other, and this is the most popular people use as a, quote, treatment for strep throat, and that is oregano. Oregano is potent, and it does have, and this is, I think we need to go here. Herbs can have antibiotic qualities that they are not the same as an antibiotic medication.
2: That is correct. They can have potent mechanisms that help diminish the growth of a bacteria. An antibiotic was developed to completely interfere with the growth of a Bacteria in different mechanisms. Um, so that is true. There's a ba- there's antibacterial properties and then a antibiotic. Right, and it's uh, so important. You know, just like
1: your hand soap is <laughs> anti quote antibacterial, but if you have MRSA, hand soap's not going to do it.
2: Right. And, I mean, let's talk about antibacterial hand soap. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think they have a place. Uh, if you're dealing with somebody, for instance,
2: who has strep
1: or has some bacterial illness, or if you've been sometimes out into, say, a hospital setting, they're absolutely yeah. necessary. But if the only place you've been is out into your yard and the only thing you've touched are the things that have belonged to you, or to someone that you live in a household with, most of the time it's okay unless they have some catastrophic bacterial illness. I feel like yeah. most of the time it's okay to use a non-antibacterial hand soap, you know, just a, a Castile soap or something gentle.
2: Yep. And then you just make sure to use lukewarm water and rub, scrub, scrub and, you know, wash off. Yep. I am in agreement with you as well on that. I mean, there's oh, sometimes,
1: the, uh, even at home, I might. Would. So, for instance, if I've been using my bare hands to clean out a chicken coop, yep. I'm probably going to use an antibacterial soap when I come in and scrub yeah, under my sure. fingernails really, really well.
2: Yeah, it's so funny. I just had the chicken coop in my head, too, <laughs> when you said it. I was like, all right, so maybe my chicken coop.
1: <laughs> you know, the barn, the chicken coop. Anytime that you're handling feces, yeah, probably. People who are out here saying all these wild things of never use an antibiotic, you're going to destroy your gut, and then you'll be sick over and over, blah, 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 blah. These people that are on here online saying it, you don't know them. You don't know their background. They certainly don't know you or your child and don't have a vested interest in your outcome why are you trusting strangers with your life?
2: Right. And I feel overall just spreading fear that, you know, I I think I've said it before, just the amount of people that feel so guilty when they DM me because they might be on a quote-unquote non-natural medicine um, and just that I don't think, you teach anything by inciting fear. Um, that is not. not yep, yeah, that is not the way. And so, if, if anybody's making you fearful of something, then that's probably not a person um, that you want to learn from. Would be my. Right. My thought. And you
1: shouldn't. You shouldn't be afraid of the herbs either
2: exactly just as,
1: we, just as we talked about it, it's important to know which herbs are okay to use with western medicines and with your particular uh, health condition but if you learn you know what's safe for you and you is particular to the you out there who is listening to it because what is safe for me is not necessarily safe for you If you know, if you learn what is safe for you based on your health conditions and your prescription medications or other supplements that you may be taking, if you learn those and you tell your provider and your pharmacist anytime that you have medication, hey, don't forget, I'm taking these, you should be fairly safe with her.
2: Yes, and I feel like I could have the same conversation to providers who are spreading fear about herbs just as much as I can talk to the natural only people spreading fear about medicine um Absolutely. you know those those physicians slash pharmacists um slash just provider in general that aren't open, I think we can. Say to them the exact same, we could be just as critical." Um, no, not everything needs to be treated with um, antibiotics. Sometimes you need to take time and, you know, really look at the labs. Um, is that are we getting down to the real re- root reason? Or are we just treating with medicine really quickly? Um, now sometimes you do need to treat quickly and assess, but sometimes they're just treating quickly and not doing the assessment. Um, And so they need, they quote unquote, they need just as much of this talking to as well. Oh,
1: I completely agree. Um, Providers and some pharmacists can put the fear in people, you know, um, perhaps you go to the doctor and you're having a little burning sensation and we'll just go back to UTI here when you're going to the bathroom and but when they do that culture, it's not really an infection. You're headed there and a lot, and they can tell these things. You're headed there, but it's not quite there yet. So could you do the natural things? Well, you could try them and they don't think about this. Could you try that? Sure. You could try it. And then tomorrow I want to do another urine dip. Will it cost you extra doctor visits? Sure. But if you want to go the, quote, natural only route, you have to be carefully monitored. You need to be doing those urine dips on 24, 36, you know, hour increments so that you can see if you're moving in the right direction. And then if you're not, okay, 48 hours in, we're increasing, not decreasing. It's time that we start an antibiotic because this could go in the wrong direction quickly.
2: Right. Yep. Um, I agree with that 100%. Instead, they, you know, and we could take this into a million directions, but um, because it's not just the prescriber, you know, we can bring in everything around our health system, which I don't <laughs> want to delve into today, but <laughs> uh, um, but technically, yes, that is the route we should be thinking. You know, the the holistic route. Um, applying antibiotics when necessary um, is what we should be thinking right
1: okay well this has been a great conversation I really appreciate you having it with me and
2: I appreciate you
1: having me we will get this conversation out to the masses on our podcast this evening
0: Before you begin listening to this podcast, it's important for you to take into account the fact that both Allison and I are herbalists, and yet we have a balanced view of herbal and Western medicine. We think that it's so important that practitioners of both come together and learn to work in unison with one another. It's important to employ both Western medicine and herbal medicine where it's appropriate and sometimes in unison with one another in order to more holistically treat illnesses and disease processes occurring in the body. Thank you for joining us today on the Appalachian Homestead podcast. We hope that you come away with a more balanced view of using herbs and Western medicine and that you come away with the understanding that sometimes Western medicine really is the primary treatment and in other cases, an herb can safely be used. It's a matter of knowing which one is the best option. And sometimes you need input from an outside source who can look at things objectively and who understands both Western and herbal medicine, who can speak to the situation at hand and give better advice than influencers on the internet who are radically pushing one way or the other towards medical Western science or towards herbalism. It's all about balance.